0: Are you feeling a little impatient around making more sales or progress in your business? Well, you're not alone because patience is definitely something I struggle with too. But the good news is that there are small things that you can do to identify what might be blocking your path to growth and success. And in this episode, I'm going to be talking about a few of possibilities and give you some ideas on how you can overcome them. Welcome to the Upgrade Your Education Business podcast. I'm your host, Samantha. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope that you find this episode useful. If you're new to this podcast, each week I share fluff-free, actionable ideas tailored to education businesses that you can mould to suit your needs. And finally, if you enjoy listening to the podcast, it would mean the world to me if you could leave a review on iTunes or follow and subscribe on whichever platform you choose. Thank you once again for tuning in. So today I'm not going to be talking about making really big changes. I'm not going to be saying you need to transform your marketing strategy, for example. Today is about small things that have a big impact. And that means being reflective. That means being able to pinpoint exactly how you're feeling and being really honest about it with yourself. And the thing I'm going to start with is something that I think can be really debilitating and something I do see quite a lot. I've definitely experienced it. And that is having a scarcity mindset. A scarcity mindset can be a real success blocker because it's driven by fear. It's driven by this fear of there not being enough of something. There not being enough clients to go around. I'll share a couple of snippets from some recent client conversations because they're really who inspired me to sort of talk about this. In the mastermind very recently, I was talking about how engaging with other people's content on social media helps to boost visibility. And one tutor said that she really hesitated putting her name in the hat when people asked for recommendations for tutors because there were usually just so many other tutors who had already shared their details. So we discussed the idea and I talked about how you know, it wasn't really just about the parent who asked for the recommendation. It's also about getting your name in front of other parents who might be looking through that thread. But the tutor was still resistant. But she had this light bulb moment when I said, well, what have you got to lose? And also I talked about how as one tutor or one business, we can only serve so many people, we can only serve so many students. And on top of that, there are only certain students who we're compatible with. So that means there will always be enough students for all of us. So it's always worth putting your name forward and, you know, just stepping forward with confidence. So in that conversation, scarcity mindset kicked in when the tutor felt like there were just too many tutors. How can she compete? And I see this quite a lot with new businesses. And with new businesses, it can be a little bit dangerous because it can sometimes drive some bad decisions. For instance, I do meet people who've been running their businesses for a few months or maybe a year And we end up doing remedial work because what they did at the beginning was they thought, well, I don't really have a reputation in the industry yet. I'm not really established yet. So I'll go in really cheap because it's a really good way to get clients through the door. But then, of course, what happens is they are successful and they do get lots of clients through the door. And then they resent working so hard for so little money. And they're in this difficult position because they want to increase their prices. They want to think about growing and scaling and they don't know how to have those conversations with parents. So having a scarcity mindset not only stops you from stepping forward sometimes, but it can lead to some poor business decisions. Other examples of scarcity mindset might be where you might be a bit reluctant to share too much for free in case there isn't enough left for your paid clients or when you feel a bit agitated when you see a new competitor pop up. All of these types of thoughts can really block success because they stop you from being free and actually they might stop opportunities coming your way. For instance, if you get upset when another competitor pops up, you might be missing out on a collaboration opportunity. Or if you don't have the confidence that no matter how much you give away for free, it will never replace the power of working with you, you might be missing out on a very fast way to build trust with your potential clients. So if you have a moment to reflect, It's a perfect opportunity to just hone in on any of these thoughts or feelings that you might be having or you might have had that might be blocking your road to growth or to success or it might be stopping you from being open to opportunities around you. Another thing, and this is going to sound a bit strange, is that maybe you're not being pushy enough. Now, I talked about sales a few episodes ago because it's the one thing that just keeps cropping up time and time again with education business owners. It's the one area that people feel consistently uncomfortable with. But I'll repeat something I said in that episode. Be a problem solver, not a seller. So if you offer loads of tips and value for free, you're doing it because you want to help people. But you can only continue to help people if you tell them how to take things further with you. And that is selling, but you're doing it in a much more supportive way. Now, this episode, as I mentioned earlier, has been inspired by some of my clients. So I'll share another conversation that I had very recently with a client. She had contacted this new client that was going to actually bring in a lot of business. And she felt very deflated because they hadn't got back to her. So she assumed that it meant they weren't interested But I said to her, well, what if they have loads on their plate and they forgot? What if they intended to reply, but, you know, life gets in the way sometimes and they just keep not getting around to it? So I encouraged her to send a follow up email and they actually got back to her within a day. They didn't say they were going to buy, but they did give her a time frame for when they'd make a decision by. And this gave my client reassurance and managed her expectations. She now knows when to expect a decision by. So don't be afraid of following up. Don't be afraid of chasing people up for a decision or for their feedback, because sometimes people need that. We need that sometimes as consumers. You might recall an episode I did with Keris Keneally, and that was all focused around selling to schools. And I'm pretty sure we mentioned it in that episode, but one of the things she teaches her clients to do is to follow up. And I remember, you know, being present in her five day challenge and in there she was saying that sometimes you end up following up with a client or with a school for about a year, just a you know, periodically. And it's really it's a really important part because if you think about it, when you're marketing and when you're selling, you kind of have to repeat your messages. You have to encourage people to buy what you're selling more than once, and that's not being pushy. Because when someone comes across something we sell, there might be a number of reasons why they aren't ready to take action. For instance, two people recently joined. the tutor's mastermind, but I'd been interacting with them on social media for about a year before they felt ready to take action. And what that means is that we don't just have one chance to make a sale to one person. We have multiple chances because for whatever reason, they might need reminding. They might need nurturing because they don't feel safe yet to make an investment. They just might need time to feel ready. Now, there is a difference between following up and reinforcing messages and bombarding people. If you're just posting the same thing, if you're just saying buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this all the time, then yes, that is bombarding. You are you're assaulting people with that information. It's like if you map it to real life, it's like if someone rang your doorbell multiple times a day trying to sell you this one thing that you've already said you're not interested in. Or you might be interested in it, but the fact that they're now bothering you and they're being a bit of a nuisance would completely put you off. So there is a difference and following up with people is about continuing a conversation that's already started. The next thing is to have really firm boundaries and I'm going to merge this with surrounding yourself with the right people. I'll tell you a quick story about what happened when I launched Upgrade Your Education Business. It's not the most pleasant story but I learned quite a lot from it. Before I launched I was just known within my network I suppose as an English tutor, and I was actually doing a lot of corporate business training but I got that work through an agency so I didn't really market myself and I was trying to phase that out anyway because I wanted to make room for upgrade your education business. So then I launched it and obviously I talked about you know my business experience and I talked about the work that I'd already been doing with some education business owners and there were people in my network who also helped other education business owners and I actually had made this list of all the people that I wanted to approach for collaboration because I really appreciated that we all came from different backgrounds and I thought that was really powerful. But a really sad thing happened. I had to start crossing their names off my list one by one because the minute they realised that I wasn't a potential client, all of that nice behavior, if you like, that I'd experienced before that just disappeared. I received quite a lot of hostility from just certain people, not loads of people, but a few people. And, you know, they had thrown me out of Facebook groups. they would disconnected with me on social media. They were a little bit passive aggressive and, you know, aiming certain comments at me. And I did feel really, really sad because that's not really my approach. And I was really disappointed because I thought, a lot of them, I really respected them. Now, fast forward a few years later, a few of them have actually tried to reconnect with me. Um, They've hinted that they want to be a guest on my podcast. And you may not agree with my approach, but I said no. I had really firm boundaries, but I had a really clear reason why that is. I'm really selective about who I have in my world because I've learned from, you know, I've learned the hard way, that having the wrong people around you and the wrong people in your world can be detrimental. You know, running a business is a hard, at the best of times, you have to be self-motivated, you have to be driven. When things don't go to plan, you know, you might feel deflated, but you have to pick yourself up. So when you have people around you who might be opportunistic, or they're not very genuine, then You're never going to quite feel very easy. You're not going to feel easy to go to them for support. If you have people around you who are really negative, then you're going to find it harder to pick yourself up when things get a little bit tough. So I'm really selective about who I have around me because I know that they have an impact on me and I need to feel safe with them. I need to be able to go to them and say that I'm struggling with something or I might have a question or I might have an idea that I just want some honest feedback about. So having firm boundaries helps you make sure that you are surrounding yourself with the right people and this concept actually extends to working with clients you're compatible with and this could have an impact on the growth of your business and your reputation. Because if you think about it, when we work with clients who we're really compatible with, results happen because you've got this great energy, this great dynamic and chemistry, and you just work really well together. You know that you have the expertise that targets the problem that they might be facing. But if you work with someone, if you say yes to working with someone who you just didn't get a good feeling about, or you're just not really sure, you're not 100% sure you can help them, then chances are it won't work out. Now, that client is not going to walk away and say to other people, you know what, this person's really good, but I just don't think we were compatible. Chances are they're going to say to other people, I wouldn't go to that person because, you know, I just had a really bad experience. So knowing when to say no and having those boundaries can be a really important part of protecting your reputation. And your reputation will really carry because if you select the right people to work with, they will be your advocates. They will fly the flag for you. They will recommend you to loads of people. Now, another question you could ask yourself, and this is a really practical thing. Are you communicating what you actually do? Now, when I'm talking about communications, there are a couple of different angles to this. Think about how you've named your service or your product. And does it actually say what it does on the tin? Actually, I'll even extend that to things like your Instagram handle or your headline on LinkedIn or your Facebook page name. We often get really hung up on coming up with something meaningful or a really fancy name. But I think ultimately it needs to be functional especially because so much of how we represent ourselves is digital. We have a website, we have social media accounts, and that means that it's also searchable. i actually made this mistake in my tuition business, which is why I don't actually promote the name of it very much. I called it the Upgrade Project because I had this branding idea where it could be an umbrella for everything so I could have Upgrade Your GCSE English, Upgrade Your Education Business, But the Upgrade Project doesn't actually tell people anything about what I do. So on Facebook, which is actually the only social media platform I use for tutoring, I just don't include it in my branding. Instead, I keep it very, very functional. It's not pretty, but my Facebook page name is something like Samantha McMahon 11 Plus and GCSE English Tutor. I know that from seeing that people will know instantly what I do and the name is very searchable. If someone searched for an English tutor on something like Facebook, chances are my profile would probably come up in results. So, think about how you're naming things. Now, if you've already named your business something and you're thinking, "Oh no, it doesn't really it doesn't really communicate what I do." Don't worry. I've done that, just like I told you. A way around it is to just make sure that the way you're representing your business you don't put forward that name. You can have your logo in the corner. You can have it discreet, the business name a bit more discreet, but you can call your profiles. You can make the copy on your website more prominent in terms of what you actually do rather than the company name. And I really learned from this. So, you know, upgrade your education business kind of says what it does. The Tutor's Mastermind The only thing that might be a little bit ambiguous is the training jukebox, but it's a subsidiary of what I already do. It's a conversation I have with people as an add-on. So thinking about how you've named things is important, but the other angle is to ask yourself whether you're actually putting forward the impact you make, whether it's on your website, whether it's when you're having conversations with people, whether it's on social media, whether it's on email marketing, are you putting forward the impact you make or are you just communicating logistical information? You might have heard of the concept of putting your benefits forward over features. An example that I often pull out from the Copywriter's Handbook by Robert Bly is he talks about how if you are selling a pencil and you said to someone, it's hexagonal in shape, then they're going to think, well, so what? But if you say, because of the shape of that pencil, it won't roll off the table, then they're going to be interested because you are talking about the benefit not the feature. So let's say that you run a course and within that you have a free community for clients where you do weekly QA sessions, you informally keep in touch with clients in between sessions. In your marketing or on your website if you just talk about the timing of your teaching sessions and how they're recorded but you don't emphasize all the support you provide outside of those sessions then people aren't really able to understand the impact that you're going to make on them. They can't visualize what working with you is actually like. So a really good way to go about this is to think about all the things that people experience when they work with you. So let's say you're a tutor. I'm sure that you don't simply teach for that hour and then that's it, finished. I'm sure that in between that, you liaise with parents. Sometimes parents might ask you a question and you might be answering that or you might be giving progress reports. All of these are really big value adds to what you do. They help you stand out. Remember what I was saying about that scarcity mindset where people feel like they're operating in a really crowded market. Well, this is the way to stand out. It's by telling people what it's specifically like to work with you instead of someone else who does exactly what you do on the surface. Now, I always emphasize that It's not about being competitive. It's not about convincing someone to work with you. It's about giving them enough information so that they can make that clear decision. Because we need to work, as I was talking about earlier, we need to work with people we're compatible with. And so I like to use my copy as that gatekeeper. I like people to self-qualify so that by the time they actually speak to me, chances are we're compatible, they're interested and they have the budget. So I'm going to do a really quick summary of some of those success blockers and then I'm just going to add in a couple of bonus ones at the end. I won't dive into them too much but I will mention them so that they're things that you can consider. The first thing is to make sure that you are confident that you are unique and that you have got something valuable to add that's different from your competitors. If you feel like you really need to identify that then do that work identify your USP but if you feel like actually my personality and the way I do things is enough which chances are it is then make sure you're putting your personality forward. The second thing is make sure that you're repeating messages make sure you're following up with potential clients people need reminders people need nurturing sometimes people simply aren't ready to take action yet, but they will be ready later. And if you don't keep in touch with them because you're worried about being pushy or pestering them, then when they reach that time of being ready, they might go elsewhere. The third thing I talked about was having really firm boundaries and surrounding yourself with the right people. The people that you fill your world with has a huge impact on your mindset and your mindset has a huge impact on the decisions you make and how you pull yourself through any tough spots in your business. And the fourth thing is to question whether you are really communicating what you do. I'm not talking about the practical things like my group class has run at this time and it's a maximum of 10 students. And if you miss a lesson, don't worry, it's recorded. That stuff is important. But there are loads of other group classes that fit the same profile. Talk about the magic that you sprinkle on those group classes. Help people visualize what it's going to be like actually working with you. Now, as promised, I'm going to share just three more things that can really help you identify whether you are blocking your way to success. The first thing is thinking you can do everything yourself. As a business owner, we do have to wear lots of different hats. One minute, you're the accountant or the bookkeeper. The next minute, you're the marketer. Then you're the teacher. Then you're the whatever. So, we do have to wear lots of hats. And often, we do need to take care of things ourselves. But investing in things like automation can take some of that heavy lifting away from you. Investing in someone like a virtual assistant can take some of that as well. And that really links to the second thing, which is not being willing to invest in your business. Now, I know that it's quite scary to spend money. I know that, especially if it's something you're not used to actually. So I do speak to people who they're really, really interested, but then they're like, I just don't know if I can afford it. Now, I know that sometimes you genuinely can't afford things. There are plenty of things outside of my budget. But if you're not willing to invest in your business, then you're not going to get that return. It's not going to be as fast as you would like it to be. I actually learned this the hard way because it took me ages. I was running my business for years before I actually invested in support where I went to a coach or took a course because I just thought, well, I can do everything myself. But then I realized that I was having to learn from mistakes. I, would have, I was having to experiment more than normal. And obviously that really slowed my progress down and what i will just add to that is that you're never going to be in a position where you think you know what right now i'm ready for my profits to go down you're not never actually going to be ready to spend money instead you have to make space for it and treat it like an investment know what you want out of it and make sure you get that out of what you're spending money on and the third thing is not having targets or goals that you can monitor And use to kind of root your path. Now, sometimes these targets can be really simple calculations. Something I always do is I have a financial target that I want to hit. And every time I hit that, I just increase it a little bit more. And what that really helps me do is map out what areas of my business I want to have a bit more of a drive towards which areas I want to take a step back from without compromising my income. You know, we have bills to pay, we, we need to make money from our businesses. So financial targets really helps you focus and it helps you make clear decisions. But sometimes these targets aren't quite as quantifiable as that. So it could be that one of your targets is to work a bit less without compromising your income. So that could be a target But then you want to break that down into possible ways that you can achieve that. So having targets and having goals is a really good way to focus you and direct you on what actions you need to take in your business. So I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. I hope I've given you a few different ideas. And I hope that you feel confident to be able to make these changes. Because remember, often you don't have to make a big transformation. Incremental changes are actually probably more effective then trying to go for a big transformation. As always, you will hear from me next week and thank you so much for listening. Would you like to take this discussion further? Perhaps you have some questions or you'd like more ideas on tailoring your business. If so, book a free discovery call through the link in the show notes.